On this episode of Common Mystics, we are keeping spooky alive with Jill's submission for the Common Mystics Spook Off of 2023. I'm Jennifer James. I'm Jill Stanley. We're psychics. We're sisters. We are Common Mystics. We find extraordinary stories in ordinary places. And today's story takes us to Barrie County, Michigan. Specifically, Stryker Cemetery. Stryker Cemetery. Haunted AF. Haunted AF. Let's get right into it. Jen, how did we stumble upon this little haunted gem in my backyard? Well, you wanted to do a spook off to see who could do the scariest thing. And so I, with my friend Michelle, did the Archer Avenue haunts, and you were looking for a spooky place near your house in Barry County, Michigan. It's not even fair, you guys, because Jennifer knew exactly what I was doing and what I was doing and who I was doing it with, and then she was all closed mouth about what she was doing. Anyway. Anyway. It was not a fair spook off. Well, we had actually stumbled upon the Stryker Cemetery, honestly. We did. Last summer. Together. Yes. It was me, you, and Jenny B. Jenny B., the editor of our book, and the three of us went to the Nashville Public Library, or more specifically, the Putnam Library in Nashville, Michigan. And we had our little book in our paws. It and was so embarrassing. We so were like, um, we wrote a, a book, and we have a podcast <laughs> all about you guys, and um, hi. Well, the podcast isn't all about Nashville, Michigan, but the first podcast and the first chapter of our book is based out of the Putnam Library in Nashville, Michigan. Exactly. So while we were there, they were so nice to us. They gave us a tour of the facility. They they actually took our book and <laughs> said they would that add it to really the collection. Sweet. They probably just like put it in the waste paper basket after we left. <laughs> but anyway, while we were there, the two librarians asked us if we had ever been to Stryker Cemetery. Now, you're from the area, Jill. You had never heard of it. Never. Never, ever heard of it. So we asked, what's in Stryker Cemetery? And one of the librarians said, you don't want to go there. There's nothing good that could come out of going there. And, of course, immediately that piqued our curiosity. We're like, tell us more. It's like, what What do you mean by that? Hmm? Well, apparently, one of the librarians... Her daughter, who is not into, like, doing spooky things or, you know, ghosts or whatever, went with a group of friends to the cemetery at night because, I mean, honestly, what else do you do when you're a teenager? True. Right. Especially I'm if you're in rural, rural Michigan, right? Mm-hmm. No offense. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> and her daughter was grabbed, grabbed by the arm and pulled to the ground by an unseen force while visiting that cemetery. And it's locally known by young people, at least, that the Stryker Cemetery is haunted by a demon. A demon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, of course, I've never experienced, thank God, demon haunts or any kind of vibes of that lower vibration. So I was like, well, if we didn't know that of the story mm-hmm. of the, the apparent demon right. and the story of the librarian's daughter, if we went to the cemetery, would we experience something that we'd be like, for sure, demonic? Right. And that's why I wanted to go. 
I was a proponent of going, and actually you and Jenny were not 100% for it. But we do cemeteries all the time, and I wanted to know, just like you said, are we just scared because we heard that story, or are we going to experience something above and beyond what we usually experience when we go to haunted cemeteries? And so we were like, Jennifer convinced Jenny and I, but first we had to eat. Of that course. was my one, I was like, that was my one thing. I'm like, I'll go, but I'm eating first. Right. So we discussed <laughs> it over Culver's. Yeah, so we left. We were in Nashville, Michigan, like we said, at the Putnam Library. We leave Nashville, which has places to eat at, right? Mm -hmm. We leave Nashville to go to Hastings, which is the largest city in in the area, and we go to Culver's. The interesting thing is, is that we went out of our way to leave Nashville to go to Hastings because the cemetery is in between those two cities. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And while driving through Hastings, there was a particular structure that caught our eye, specifically Jenny and mine, because you were driving. And it was this amazing old house with copper accents that was so unusual. And as we're driving through, we're talking about it and how unusual it was that it was the copper and how different it was and how special. And anyway, we'll circle around back to that particular structure because it does have bearing to this story. Right. And I, at the time, living in the area, I I know of the structure. I drive past it a lot, but I don't know the history of it. It's just a beautiful old building. Mm. So we get to the cemetery. Jennifer, <laughs> tell everyone what happens. Well, we were cautious. We were responsible. I mean, We knew that people said that there was a demon there, so we stayed close together. We kind of walked slowly. But it was noon on a Saturday. Right, right. It wasn't like it was in the middle of the night. So we we entered the cemetery. We started walking on the grounds, and we kind of sticking together. And I I heard some sort of breathing slash belching almost. I thought it was you. Yeah, she accused me of burping. Well, Culver's. I'm like, I'm not... Well, I wasn't burping. I would tell you. I wouldn't be shy. I would be like, hear this. Hear me roar. And then that's when all of a sudden there was a growl. It was a loud growl and it did not sound like it came from a person and it did not sound like it came from an animal. It sounded all at once all around us. And to me, it seemed like it came from the ground. Okay. We I'm gonna all... stop you. What? I'm gonna stop you. I'm gonna stop you right here because I wanna say something. I want I want the listeners to appreciate something. I am Jennifer's baby sister. You are, yes. Jennifer is programmed throughout her life to take care of me. That is true. Right? Mm-hmm. Even to this day, if something happens to me, my husband will be like, What where the hell was Jennifer? Exactly. Right? Yeah. You're still yes. yeah, I'm still in charge of you. Mm-hmm. Yep, she's still in charge of me. To the point that I can't walk down a street at an intersection without her telling me to stop and look both ways. That's true. Uh, She puts her arm up in the car if there is a sudden stop. That's just who she is. I do that, yes. So, yes, you do. So, of course, in this situation where we are (laughs) scared that something might happen, I feel like I am protected by my older sister and her best friend, Jenny B. She's a mama bear. I'm with the two people in the world that I can count on to protect me. 
So that's where my head is. And yet, (laughs) and yet, and yet, when we heard this growl, it was like every man for himself. We all turned and ran like straight to the car. We did not ask each other, did you hear that? Or what was that? We all didn't even look at one another, heard it and just booked. Yeah, it was an instinctive response that Mm -hmm. something was after us after us. You said primal. Primal. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So anyway, so I believe there is something in that cemetery. And I know that you did some research on it. So let's dig in, shall we? Yes. So first, let me tell you, I did the research after I went to the Stryker Cemetery with my best friends and their husbands. As part of the great spook off of 2023. Even though Jennifer knew what I was doing, (laughs) I bought my besties and their husbands with me because there's nothing more entertaining than our friend Kelly scared. It's just the, it's gold. It's really fun. (laughs) It really is fun to scare Kelly. So Kelly would not come without her husband, Kyle, and our best friend, Ryan, and his husband, Matthew, came with us. And the five of us were in the cemetery and Ryan was really impressive. He was walking around and it was Ryan and Kelly who both caught evidence. (gasps) to hauntings that I cannot (gasps) wait to share with them on the Detours episode this next Thursday. So tune in, Patreons, Tier 2 and above. You will have access to that footage and those pictures. Okay. So Stryker Cemetery is located in Baltimore Township in Barry County, Michigan. Right. And the reason why we did a deep dive into Barry County, Michigan, in the history of this land is because we're trying to determine why would a demon just be chilling in nowhere Barry County? Right. Or even just angry, haunted individuals. Like, why are ghosts hanging out there? Like, what is the draw? Why do kids go there to get scared? Like, something's there. Why? Exactly. So now hit me up. Give me some history. So as it turns out, Barry County is like a living, breathing history book, and its landscape has been shaped by ancient glaciers. Didn't know. Yes. Glaciers were once spread across the entire area, and they left a thick layer of glacial drift behind. And... As the glaciers plowed southward, they created moraines or masses of rocks and sediment. And you can still see them today in the form of great lines of granite boulders in the area. It's craziness. The glaciers also left behind unique geological formations like bogs and marshes and peat beds and marl beds. And during that time, elks, moose, and even mastodons roamed the area. That's insane. I can't even think of it. I know, right? Now, fast forward to the woodland period, which was between 1000 BC to 1000 AD. The Hopewell native people decided to make their home in the area of Barry County and the larger Great Lakes area. And the Hopo people actually left a significant mark on the region. Hmm, tell me how. They had elaborate burial mounds, and it was a testament to their intricate social structure as well as their deep-seated religious beliefs. 
And these structures are scattered throughout the area even today. I had no clue. Yeah. Historians suggest that the Hopewell are the distant predecessors of the Native people who still reside in Michigan. And although they have disappeared, there are 17 burial mounds that remain in a forest located outside Grand Rapids, Michigan. Mm, you know, we need really to go by. there. I know. We need to yeah, go. Yeah, there's two different mounds outside of Grand Rapids. Okay. Totally. We can go there. Well, it says that there are 17 burial mounds. Well, there's two, there's like two parks that oh, I, I know see. of. Two like yeah. chunks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. It, chunks isn't the right word. No, I know exactly what you mean. Two groups. It's a cute word. Two groups. It's a great name for it's, a cat, Chunk. Chunk is a great word, but it doesn't sound respectful enough to say Chunk. <laughs> That's a good point. That's so, a good point. So we're going to go with two groups of mounds near Grand Rapids, Michigan. Crazy. And you know what? Just aside, I had no idea this area was so old, and I visit you there all the time, and this, this is insane. I friggin' live here. I know. I have absolutely no clue. So it's not only the ancient glaciers and the ancient peoples who made a mark on this area, but the history of Barry County, Michigan is also closely tied to the history of Michigan and the United States in terms of its colonial conflicts, as well as the subjugation and removal of the indigenous peoples who lived there. Mm. This is a tale as old as time. I feel like we always talk about this. It's so true. I know. It's it important. It makes me sad. It's important, but it's it's not a new story. So it was here in this area that the English colonization and French colonization kind of butted heads. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The English and the French butt heads all the time right? all over the world. All it's, again, over the world. A tale as old as time. My goodness. Here's another one. Exactly. Mm-hmm. This this outline is full of cliches, Jill. <laughs> Sorry, that's <laughs> okay. No, so the English were colonizing the quote-unquote New World and Jamestown and Plymouth Rock, right? And they grew from there. And the French, they were in Quebec and Montreal and Ottawa, as well as down south in Louisiana. But it was this group from Canada that was part of the struggle for the area. And it continued for more than a century with the colonial wars and also feuds with the Native Americans. But it wasn't until the Battle of Quebec in 1759 when the Canadian general Montcalm surrendered to the British forces. And that was when the British then gained dominant influence over the affairs of the area. The United States formally gained ownership of the land during the Treaty of Paris in 1763, but the British stuck around. And they didn't give up their military posts in Michigan until, oh, 1795. Mm. Even after surrendering their military posts, even after they moved out, the British still maintained significant control over the indigenous population. And the Chippewa tribe relinquished their claim to the land in the southeast region of Barry County in 1819, and the combined tribes of the Chippeways, the Potawatomi, and the Ottawas also gave up their claims to the North in oh, 1819. Right. So now that the indigenous population is out of the way, we can make room what for the Europeans. Now? What? I was going to say, guess what happens now? <laughs> well, the European settlers moved in. 
1836, there was a trio of go-getters who came to the area named Dibble, Kingsbury, and Kendall. They sound like a law firm. They do. I mean, honestly, a lot of unfortunate names in this. Keep going. Dibble, Kingsbury, and Kendall decided to go in together and purchase 480 acres next to the Thorn Apple River. And they got their hands on a sweet deal from a Detroit banker named Eurotus Hastings. And the three divided the land into parcels, and voila, a little community was born named Hastings. In 1843, Hastings became the county seat of Barry County. And in 1855, Hastings was officially a village with about 300 people living the dream. And in 1871, guess what? Hastings leveled up and became a proper city. Mm, it's the largest city in Barry County still. Ah, little Hastings grows up. Mm-hmm. Now, Baltimore Township is a particular area of Barry County. It's just about east of Hastings, maybe a little south, but it's just due east of Hastings. And it was different from some of the rest of the land because it was more heavily timbered and the underbrush was denser and that kept the soil damp and cold. And so that land was much more difficult to subdue and clear out. I want to say this, Jen. When we were driving from Hastings into Baltimore Township to the cemetery, mm-hmm. you can tell that land there is hilly, it's thick, it's dark because it's canopied by so many trees. It is a very, like, reading that and doing this research, that made sense to me because you could feel that way as you're traveling the terrain to the cemetery. I agree. It does feel dense as you're driving in. And I mm-hmm. wonder if... Some of that vegetation, some of the land holds on to the energy the same way it holds on to the moisture. Ooh, good point. Yeah, I'm not sure, but it definitely feels that way. You can feel it as you're driving in. So Baltimore Township was one of the last areas in the county to be cleared and developed, and a parcel of it was used for a cemetery, a cemetery that we know now as the Stryker Cemetery. But Jill, why was it named Stryker Cemetery? Because the plot of land that the Stryker Cemetery was sitting on belonged to the Stryker family. Ah. And the patriarch of the Stryker family was Gilbert Stryker. That's and right. he, Jennifer, he was a true pioneer. Tell me everything you know about him. He was a true pioneer, born in 1810 in New York. He married Naomi Valentine in 1830. Although, sadly, their time together only lasted one year before Naomi's untimely death. Luckily, though, she had a sister named Rebecca, and so Gilbert married her. And I think that that's not right, by the way. I would not condone that. I'm not sure how Naomi feels about it. No, that doesn't seem right either. But but gross. Go on. I mean, it was a different time. True. And people married their own cousins back then, so... (laughs) (laughs) So Gilbert married his sister-in-law, Rebecca, and guess what? They had nine children together over the next Mm. two decades. Now, they made their way to Jackson County, Michigan, and he settled there as a farmer in 1840. And after a few years, Gilbert Stryker made a new beginning, and he moved his family to Baltimore Township in Barry County in 1851. It's interesting that he went to, like, the most difficult part of the county to clear. 
Well, I was thinking the reason why it was available in Barry oh. County is because it was the most difficult Maybe. part of the county to clear. Right. Now, Gilbert Stryker was determined to make a contribution to his community, and he ran and was elected to the Michigan 27th Legislature in 1873. And he That's actually, crazy. Uh-huh. He actually dedicated himself to making positive changes in the community until he tragically died in 1874 at the age of 64. Aww, now, that's but the, sad. Well, it is, but the striker name lives on because he and Rebecca had a son named Daniel. Daniel Stryker was their oldest son. Okay, tell me about him. He grew up on his family farm in Jackson County, Michigan, and he was 15 years old when his father relocated the family to Baltimore Township in Barry County. Okay, cool. Now, Daniel Stryker was a learned man. He attended Spring Harbor College, a free Methodist university near Concord, Michigan. And in 1855, he moved to Hastings, Michigan. He, too, like his father, was a politician and was elected to the county clerk in 1858. After that, he opened a mercantile business with a friend. And in 1862, he married Sarah Elizabeth Fancher from New York. Now, Stryker went on to serve as Michigan Secretary of State from 1871 to 1874 for the Republican Party before returning to Hastings, where he practiced law and loaned money while residing there for many years afterward. How do you like that? Daniel Hastings, all-around upstanding guy. I had absolutely no clue that that was a thing. I knew nothing about him, and I drive up and down the streets of Hastings all the time. So there are a couple things that Daniel Stryker is known for in Hastings. Tell me. Why don't you tell me? This one's a doozy. One one thing that's notable about Daniel is that he created and brought in the first Hastings chapter of Freemasons in 1853. So he brought the Freemasons to Hastings officially. True. The first lodge. In Hastings. Daniel Stryker started. That's him. That seems pretty significant. I know, but here's something else that's really cool that you can still see today. He was known for constructing his own unique, spectacular home that's located at 321 South Jefferson Street. He created this home, and it was built in the 1880s. It was called the most handsome residence in Hastings. Mm. And you can see why, Jennifer. Tell me everything about this house. It's a Queen Anne It has beautiful gables and bays and dormers and stained glass windows and an octagonal tower. Even today, 100 years later, the Stryker House still stands strong and proudly retains its place as a historical landmark since 1972, when it was listed on the National Register of Historic Places. That's the house that you and Jenny were drawn to when we were going to the Stryker Cemetery. Crazy, right? I know. That is crazy. The house with all the copper. Mm-hmm. So now this is weird. I want to back up because we were talking about the Freemasons all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. But I think it's relevant. If we're looking for reasons why this plot of land on this family's farm that they turned into a cemetery would have demonic activity, there are sources that link the Freemasons to the occult. So can you tell me a little bit about the Freemasons first and then tell me where that leap into the occult comes from? Oh, my goodness. It's a lot. This is fascinating. 
So stonemasons are stone builders. And Freemasons were originally a group that began to organize in the late 1300s, so the late Middle Ages in Europe. And these local guilds of stone builders got together and united to develop rules about the qualifications for building stone structures, but also how to act professionally in the community. So there were certain rules about interacting with clients and getting jobs, etc. Mm-hmm. So it's like mm-hmm. a modern union. I, w- I would think so. Another interesting side note is that Stonemasons are one of the oldest professions in all of human history. I know what you're thinking. I don't believe you. (laughs) Well, I think everyone knows what I'm thinking. But yes, I thought one of the oldest professions is prostitution. Is it in the top 10? Well, I don't know if it's in the top 10, but I have the top eight in front of me, according to oldest.org, and prostitution isn't even on the list. Oh, my God. Tell me. Would you like to know the top eight oldest professions? I'm on the edge of my seat. Tell me everything. Okay, so number eight is a builder, and that's where stonemasons come in. Builders, eighth oldest profession of all time. That makes sense, right? Uh, Absolutely. We need structures. We need structures. But before builders, number seven, farmers. Makes sense. Yeah, farmers. You need farmers. You need farmers farmers. for your food. Yeah. And then next down, older than farmers are... Musicians, artists, and storytellers. That makes me so happy. I know. I love those. That's six, five, and four. Musicians, artists, and storytellers. Back before people were writing things down and publishing books, they had a really important job in society. Absolutely. It was the storytellers that kept the traditions alive and the stories alive. Number three, tailors and clothes makers. Number three. Oh, Well, yeah. Totally makes sense. Totally. After Adam and Eve got out of that garden, we needed clothes. Uh Uh-huh. Number two, the second oldest profession in history, hunter slash butcher. Because back then it was like the same. If you went and hunted, you you butchered your own shit. But I would assume you're bringing it home for your wife to butcher. Good point. That's how I, because that's what they do nowadays. The men go out hunting and then they bring the the carcass home. Is that what happens currently in Barry County? Aunt June, (laughs) my husband's aunt, would always clean or dress. I like how they say dressing the deer after Uncle Dick brings it home from the hunting. Dressing. Dressing. Isn't that a nice euphemism? What a woman. Can you even imagine? I would I'd be like, Ew. I would ew, never. Ew, ew, ew. And I would never eat again. <laughs> the f- oldest profession in human history. Can I have a drum roll? <laughs> Tool makers. Tool makers. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Makes sense It to all me. started with the tools. Anyway, so yeah, prostitution, not one of the very oldest. Nice. Start. Thank you for playing. But, um, <laughs> but builders, yes, stonemasons. So somewhere around the early 1700s, Freemasonry turned from a union sort of situation focused on the work of building structures to more of a fraternity of men who were okay. yeah, known as, quote unquote, the craft. The fraternity 
was based on a bond created by rituals and symbolism. And its rules prescribed a formal equality between all members, whatever their race, creed, or class. That's good. I like that. Well, interesting fact. Like everything in the United States, race and class, classism or whatever, what do you call it? I mean, we're not, this is actually London in 1717. I'm just saying that if, as they came into the United States and even in London, the classism and the racism was very complicated. Mm. So it's a good, it's, it's, it's fun to say like everyone's equal, but you're like literally choosing the same type of people. Right. They don't let everybody in, but everyone right, exactly. who comes in is equal, but not everyone's allowed e- to come in. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And... The aim of the Freemason fraternity was a moral education, building better men, just as stonemasons of old had built cathedrals and castles. Now, what's interesting about this fraternity of Freemasonry that grew from the old Freemason builders of the 1300s was that sometime around the late 1700s, Freemasonry merged with the Illuminati. Wow. Have you heard of the Illuminati? I have, but I didn't know that there was any association between the Illuminati and Freemasons. And the only reason why I know about the Illuminati is because of Dan Brown's fantastic book turned into a movie starring Tom Hanks, America's Sweetheart. (laughs) The Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's most of my knowledge, too. But when I think Illuminati, I think power. I think secret organization. I think conspiracy theories. I think men in high power positions pulling the marionette strings throughout history and leaving their symbols also, everywhere. It's, there's a mystique about it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of dog whistling. There's a lot of, like you said, symbolisms everywhere. But it's not something that's straight out. You know, like it's not something that would be like, This is who we are. It's something that you have, you, there are clues that they existed rather than actual, like, historical fact, written evidence. Exactly. Historical evidence. Mm -hmm. Hang in there, guys. We'll be right back. Hi, everyone. We are so excited to unveil the first book in our series entitled Common Mystics Present Ghost on the Road, Volume 1, Murders and Mysterious Deaths. It's everything you love about Common Mystics and more. It's a retelling of 10 of our favorite stories from our pod with exciting extras. Extras like souvenirs, what we took away from the experience, and what to know if you go if you decide to travel in our footsteps. Pre-order the Kindle edition now. All other formats of the book will be available for purchase at Amazon.com on July 1st, 2023. Thanks, guys. Now back to the show. So there's this guy, Adam Weishaupt. He was in Bavaria in 1776, and he created the Illuminati. And then he went on and joined the Freemasons. And that's when the two traditions kind of merged together. Now, governments across Europe and the church began to fear the Illuminati because of their influence, their influence and their affluence. And they were ranked high in the church and high in the government, and they were powerful people, so they were feared. Eventually, the Illuminati movement suffered from both 
internal and outside forces, and it kind of fizzled out. But that, but you know what didn't fizzle what out, didn't Jennifer? fizzle out the Freemasons. The Freemasons did not. Not only did they continue, but they also inspired other organizations. Sorry, exactly. continue. No. The Freemasons say that they stayed strong due to the masonry being organized in a very successful manner. And many of the most successful leaders in Europe were Masons. I would argue that part of the reason why the Freemasons not only remained, but also was able to create a significant amount of members was because it's secrecy. Mm. The allure of being a part of something secret was a really good like advertising tool, right? Sure. They were using it to to bring people in, be like, you want to know the secret? You have to be a Mason and you have to go through this process to get there. So it kept the numbers up, but also it was a platform, a template for other organizations to keep secrets and to operate in a larger way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like, are you thinking about like the Elks, the Loyal Order of the Moose, the Fraternal Order of yes. the Eagles, organizations like that? Organizations like that, but those are organizations that at least nowadays are looked as community organizations. But they also inspired, the template of the Freemasons also inspired different religions. Mm. Like if you wanted to do something in secret, you would use that platform that the Masons created like to hide polygamy. How do you say it? Polygamy? Yeah, thank you. That word. So like think of like the Mormons. They use that template to create their own society in which they're able to do things that were kind of on the fringe. The same way with, and this is a, a unsavory example, obviously, but the Klan, mm. the Ku Klux Klan did the same thing, used the secret society to commit crimes and to, you know, terrorize people mm. in secret. Wow. That's very interesting. Mm-hmm. What's also interesting is that some people have long associated the Freemasons with the occult. I'm glad you brought us there. (laughs) Tell me how this connection was made and why. I want to be very clear that Freemasons themselves are very, very vocal and upfront about not being part of the occult. There is a lot of literature on Freemasonry, and a large part of it is concerned with controversies about the origins of the fraternity or the sources of its mythology and its rituals. So the question is, are they occultists? Are the the Freemasons doing magic? Are they wizards? Are they warlocks? Well, let's define what you mean by magic. What what are we talking about when we talk magic? Okay, good point. Speak to me. Magic is a system of practices that aims to manipulate unseen forces to alter reality according to the practitioner's will. Sure. Okay. That sounds sure. like spell work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Many cultures, magic is interwoven with religions practices and beliefs and that the practitioners are often regarded with a mixture of fear, respect, and awe. Okay. So think... Roman Catholic Church. Think Hasidic Jews, I'm assuming. (laughs) We'll talk about what we know. I don't know any Hasidic Jews to ask them, but certainly Catholicism, for sure. 
Oh, 100%. I always say Catholicism is magic. Right. You look at symbols, rituals, and spells, like Catholicism, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. You're turning and water alchemy. into wine. Exactly. Mm-hmm. The bread of the mm-hmm. wafer is now the body of Christ. Now, similar to Freemasonry, magic is often shrouded in secrecy and symbolism. And there's a strong emphasis on the initiation and progression of its practitioners through various levels or degrees of knowledge or power, right? Mm -hmm. But it's important to note that while Freemasonry makes use of rituals and symbolism, it does not claim to engage in the manipulation of supernatural forces. So they're not doing magic. They said they're not doing magic. They said they are not doing magic. They but said if I was, magic. if I was a part of a secret society that was doing ritual stuff, I would also say I was not doing magic. Even if you were, if, even if I was, okay. especially as a woman, because we could not get away with this shit. Right. The reason why there is an ancient sororities is because we were burned. We were thrown into rivers with boulders. These men have this secret old society because they were doing it in secret and the people in power were the ones doing it. Mm, That's true. That's true. They are saying that the rituals of Freemasonry are primarily instructional in nature and they serve to impart some sort of morals, philosophical teachings to its members. So that's the purpose of the rituals. The purpose is not to manipulate supernatural forces and do magic. Okay, cool. So tell me a little bit about these rituals. Let's just talk about them to see if they, I don't know, remind me of anything. Go on. Now, you know, though, that they are largely secret. So the information here may or may not be accurate, right? Right. Right. Because the Freemasons aren't going to, like, let you in and tell you all their secrets. So, Well, I well, I will say this. Going through, there are many different Freemason lodges website. Oh. And they do answer questions about the allure of the secrecy around the Freemasons. Again, because it is a cool way to get people interested. Be like, these are totally. secrets. Totally. Yeah. So they talk about secrets. They talk about the rituals. They say they are very clear. Like, we have them. The secrets are here, but we're not sharing them. Okay. Well, I can respect that. Mm-hmm. Here's what we do know. Here's what you were able to find through your research as mm-hmm. a non-Freemason. As a woman, non-Freemason. Mm-hmm. They use rituals to initiate new members. Okay, sure. Okay. Does that, does that remind I, you of anything? I mean, if I were, I don't know, getting baptized okay, okay. as a part of a new belief system, I don't know. Go okay. On. And also to promote existing members to higher degrees. Okay. So you okay. move up the ladder, right? Sure. You go from yeah, you one level to the next. Sure. If you're a good Mason, you get promoted. Absolutely. I mean, not every priest becomes a pope, you know. Mm-hmm. rituals, sacrifice, mm-hmm. all that you have to get I mean promoted. in in Catholicism I'm thinking, you know, you're baptized, but then you you have confirmation. And confirmation is like the next level. You say I yeah, choose the to be a Catholic, right? And you mm-hmm. might get married. You might take your your vows of the priesthood. I don't remember what they're called, right? So that's different right. levels of whatever your life path is. So I can relate to that. Sure. Okay. Now, apparently there is a rite of passage that involves a reenactment, a reenactment of lengthy dramas. Well, this sounds fun. In the course of which candidates go through phases of death and rebirth. 
That's a little weird. A little weird. But it does remind me of Christmas nativity plays. Yeah. Well, kind of. Or the Stations of the Cross as Catholics. Oh, yes, yes, we yes. We go through the Stations of the Cross. I love the Stations of the Cross. It's sad. I do, too. It's sad. It's, it's so sad. sad. But it's so But that affecting. is the mystery of our faith. <gasps> it is the mystery of our faith. And it's during So these... we get you, Freemasons. We get you. We see you. <laughs> I kind of want to be one. So <laughs> it's during these rituals where you get to learn the secret signs and the passwords and the handshakes. So cool. This, and see, what that's are these... what Catholicism is missing. The handshake? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. And the passwords. And the passwords. Well, amen. You can't get the blood and body of Christ secrets. if you don't say See, amen. See, that's the thing. Anyone can walk into a Catholic mass and you pick up a book and all the secrets are in there. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a secret yeah. secret. But you know what? They know, they can see. Like, okay, example. I can take Chad to mass. Chad's been to mass with me, right? Chad is not a Catholic. But he hasn't gone through catechism where you learn why you're doing the things that you're doing, right? So like learning to get your Holy Communion, we know what we're doing. We know that the way to put our hands. We know the words to say in order to get the body and blood of Christ. Okay. Yeah, this is interesting, I think. Tell me everything. This is very, very interesting because within these rites of passage and these dramas that they do are episodes from the life and career of a mythological hero named Hiron Abiff, A-B-I-F-F, who, who is said to have designed the Temple of Solomon. He was a stonemason. He designed and uh, presumably built the Temple of Solomon from the Bible. Oh, wow. Well, okay. That's okay. kind of cool. cool. That's like That's going back cool. to your roots. Exactly. You know what it reminds me of? Who? If I put on my Catholic hat again, it reminds me of Abraham in the Bible. Okay. That's their Abraham. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mythological hero. Okay. I can see it. Well, in the face of continual criticism and opposition from the church. Now, that's interesting, church. Because because the Catholic Church is like doing all this shit too. We've been saying, and they're in, opposed to the Freemasons because they're doing this shit. But whatever, Jennifer, are you are you saying there's hypocrisy and <laughs> perversion in in the Catholic Church? Am I the first person to ever say that? I think you're the first person to ever have that come out of your mouth. Well, Freemasons go out of their way to emphasize that they have faith in the supreme being, to whom they refer to as the great architect of the universe. I love that. That's because that they're is builders. So of course they call yes. God the great architect. That's so cute. Yes. But the thing is about the Freemasons is they don't say what God. Oh, they're, they're just, just like any it. Yeah, whatever God you believe in, you believe in that God and that God is the architect of the universe. That's what they say. Okay. So, let me just put a button on this. Okay. So the Freemasons from reading this their mm -hmm. rituals are kind of resembling Catholicism from our perspective. Mm -hmm. From our perspective. From our perspective. For our, from my illiterate, not educated <laughs> perspective. Yes. 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 100% these two mirror each other. Right. And from our very warped lens, Catholicism is magic. Oh, yeah, right? for sure. They'll, like, the Pope won't tell you, no, but I'm telling no. you, a mass is about the alchemy of the wafer into the body of Christ, 
the wine to the blood of Christ. Like, that is magic. That's the point That's of the mass. That's a spell. That is legit a spell. The priest does a spell on the stage and everybody gets to watch and then eat. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Okay. We should make our own church. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Go on. Okay. So... To me, it sounds like, I don't know, the Freemasons kind of are doing magic. Yeah. I.e. by Jennifer and Jill logic, which is flawed. Yeah. 100% flawed. But in my mind, there's a lot of resemblances. And I want to say this. I want to say this because you and I do a lot of readings and we talk to a lot of people. And a lot of the times I say the energy behind something is more important than the words that people say. So if you turn off the 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 labels, if you turned off the words and there wasn't verbiage and you just watched the behaviors of the Freemasons and the behaviors of the Catholics, different sects around the world, Sex. they eerily resemble each other. Just saying, right? Mm. Just saying. In some ways. Turn off the words. All right, so let's recap. Tell me. We have Baltimore Township mm-hmm. inside Berry County. We do. It has a very unique geography, unique geographical features with the True. glaciers. Yep. Unique human history of peoples mm-hmm. moving through the area, peoples having conflicts. Yep. Mm-hmm. You have the ancient Native Americans, the indigenous mm-hmm. peoples with their burial mm-hmm. grounds. Mm-hmm. Who were then pushed out. They sure were. And then you have this section that was energetically dense. Mm-hmm. The vegetation and is th- dense. Yes. It a holds. lot of like the mm-hmm. yes. holds the moisture. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And here is where the Stryker family had their property. And here is where the Stryker Cemetery is now. So, do- And here is where the Stryker family rooted itself and became successful on a, on a state level at a time in the 1800s. And, and also this family had ties, strong ties, strong ties to Freemasonry and all mm. of the stuff we were just talking about, all of the occult, or maybe it's not occult magic, maybe it's not uh, all the secrecy for sure. For oh, sure. For sure. So, where does that leave us? Well, it seems like there's a lot of reasons why this area would contain energy. Mm-hmm. And some energy may be at a lower vibration. Mm. I don't know. Do you think there's a demon at Stryker Cemetery? No, you're going to have to say it right. Demon. That's what I said. You said demon. <sighs> Do you think there's one of those? <laughs> you know, I heard a growl, Jill. I heard a growl. <laughs> I think that there's a lot happening at the Stryker Cemetery personally. Having been there, I think that there are ghosts attached to that land. I don't know why. I don't know who they are. But I think there are humans who have passed whose spirits are still lingering there. I think there's something non-human there, something that seems to like to scare podcasters who are going there for <laughs> to get their thrills on. And gosh, I am so excited to find out what you and your friends captured at the Stryker Cemetery. 
You know, I am so excited to share it with you. It is a very, it's a very unique place. And in real time, on some of the audio, Ryan and I are having a conversation about the different layers of sounds that mm. we were hearing. Ooh. And it and at one point, and you can hear it on the recording, if it, it sounded like almost someone put like a cup over the cemetery. Like you can hear in the beginning of the recording traffic from the highway miles away. You can hear different layers of sounds like a dog close by, a bird far away, you know, the wind blowing and rustling. And then at one point, it just seemed like everything was cut off. And then the only sounds we were hearing were the sounds inside the immediate cemetery. And Ryan and I are talking about it in real time when we capture that. Not only that, but there are two different places where you can hear intelligent words <gasps> that were not from us. No. Yes. Oh my Two gosh. different places. I cannot And the wait. pictures. Not to mention the pictures that Kelly took that like there are two pictures that are 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 strange in nature. All right. And that will be this whole detours will be on Patreon for tiers 2 and above along with the audio evidence and the visual evidence. This is so cool. I feel like Stryker Cemetery called us there. I don't think that it was a a coincidence that we went there that day. I agree with you 100%, not only because that was not in the cards for us. Right? We were just like showing off our book to the librarians. Mm-hmm. But also what makes me feel like this was meant to be was you and Jenny talking about the house. Tell me why you think that's significant. Because the house that you and Jenny were talking about with the copper is Daniel Stryker's house. Daniel Stryker's house. Beautiful Queen Anne's house. And it is a house that I drive by a lot. When we saw it, I had no history on it. But it turns out that that is not only the house of the son of Gilbert Stryker, who owned the land, but also the house of the man who brought Freemasonry, these types of rituals, into the area. Mm. There's one more Mm -hmm. point that I want to bring up. Tell me. Jenny and I were drawn to the house, but one of the things that we noticed was the copper And we were drawn to the copper accents on the house. And we didn't know why. And when we left and went back to your house, we started researching copper and what it means. And copper, believe it or not, is actually a metal that is used to ward off evil or demonic spirits. So I ask you, is that a coincidence? I have goosebumps. I cannot even answer. (laughs) I'm so excited for our detours. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks, guys. You want to tell people where they can find us? Oh, sure. (laughs) Please check out our website, commonmystics.net. Find us on our socials at Common Mystics Pod. Oh, and please share, like, subscribe. Tell your friends about us. Listen in wherever you're hearing your favorite podcasts on all your streamers. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening. Good night. Good night.